Are you tired of living a life that doesn't feel authentic to you? Do you want to break free and start living a more fulfilling and meaningful life? If so, welcome to the Breaking Free podcast. I'm Rania Kurdi, your host and a confidence life coach. My passion is helping ambitious individuals who feel marginalized by their culture, heritage or sexuality to live a life that is true to themselves. If you're ready to make a change and start living with greater authenticity, don't hesitate to reach out to me at raniakurdi.com. On this podcast, we'll dive deep into topics like personal growth, self-discovery, entrepreneurship and success. And I'll be joined by a variety of insightful guests who will share their own personal journeys and perspectives on how they learn to live life with more authenticity. So let's get started. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Hala Sraj, who is a true powerhouse. She's a graduate of Yale University and the managing director of one of Jordan's leading tech platforms, providing food and home goods to customers across the country. But what's even more impressive is Hala manages all of this while being a mother to not one but two toddlers. In our conversation today, we'll dive into the unique challenges and rewards of juggling a successful career and motherhood. Get ready to be inspired by Hella's insights and advice on how to break free from the limitations that society often places on working mothers. So, let's dive in. Hi, Hella. Hi. Hella, as someone who grew up in the Middle East, sometimes the expectations of girls is to be a good homemaker and to have children and stay at home with their children. Did you have a role model? Was your mum a, a working mum? I, I think I've always been ambitious, but I think a lot of my ambition comes from my parents' ambition for me. Um, I grew up in a household where both my parents worked um, and that was kind of a non-negotiable uh, expectation of us. Um, we're three girls, my sisters and I, and I think there was never a doubt as to whether we would um, kind of be top achievers, go to great schools, um, uh, get good jobs. Um, it was kind of never on the table not to do that. It was kind of inevitable for me to kind of push as hard as humanly possible sometimes uh, to, to kind of reach reach my full potential and I think a lot of that came from my parents. Well that's wonderful because a lot of the time girls have that challenge that they have to fight against it they have to convince the parents they have to convince you know the rest of the family and society that they can do it or they have the right to do it yeah. Look there there was there there was some of that right like it 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 did often feel like it was kind of my my nuclear family against kind of <laughs> what society expected and wanted of kind of girls my age. And my parents tried their best to kind of shield us from that. But there were kind of two types of success for girls and women um, in our society. You, you kind of had to do both to be able to, <laughs> to, to like claim success. You had to, you know, uh, get good grades, uh, go to a good school, uh, get a good job, kind of do that. But at the same time, that couldn't come at the expense of getting married and having kids and kind of fulfilling that expectation that society had of you as well. And I, I, I can't say that that challenge is unique to the Middle East, but I think the, the kind of intensity of the second part of that challenge, which is the getting married part, I feel like 
that's a core expectation yes that that not fulfilling is kind of presumed as failure and i think to a stronger and kind of a more intense degree than kind of getting a good job and and i don't want to generalize here but i i do have a lot of friends and i uh, i'm in like i i'm an active part of the society and i and i see the challenges that you know, women my age and uh, girls younger than me um, have to face kind of with those expectations. There has been a lot of progress. There have been, there has been a lot of, I would say an adjustment in those expectations. I think right now you could say that maybe it's equally important for you to have a job um, and to have a good job and kind of to be career oriented and to have some, some kind of purpose beyond um, kind of you know like the more traditional expectations um but there's still a lot of you know pressure to kind of do both and do both well at the same time and, and to kind of eat yes yeah. yes and what kind of support system do you have in place so that you can do both in comparison maybe to your friends do you see that some had to stop when they had children and you're able to continue while having two young children um what are the similarities or differences that enable you to do that i think one thing that i'm super grateful for and i don't take for granted at all is the support system that i have being in jordan um mm. my both my parents live here um, my sisters live here my husband's family lives here and you know how like they say it, it takes a village and some days it literally feels like it takes this tiny village to kind of raise one yeah. child the presence and availability of the support system is is very very important but i think one thing that i had to learn was to be comfortable asking for help mm. when i first became a mom i think i was striving for perfection i wanted to be the perfect mom but i also wanted to be the perfect managing director and at the same time i needed i wanted to be the perfect wife and i wanted to be the perfect friend um the perfect daughter the perfect sister like there was just there was so much expectation, so much pressure that I put on myself to kind of be everything for everyone. Yeah. And I think I I pushed myself to the to the brink of kind of breaking a couple of times mm. and um had to seek help to kind of get comfortable asking for help. Yeah. Um and I that's something that I've gotten a lot more comfortable with now. Um and kind of getting comfortable with this, like not letting perfect be the enemy of good or great mm. um because the stakes are just so much higher now that i have this position and i have a team of 200 people that kind of rely on me every day but i also have my family and i have two young kids that also rely on me every day so i think reaching out to that community and leveraging that support system and finding support in kind of unconventional or unexpected um, places i think um was crucial in kind of me maintaining my mental health and also being able to job well but also be there for my kids um and a lot of the time people and family are more than willing to help and then you think oh my god that's so crazy why didn't i ask before you know what was i trying to prove it's it's not a weakness to ask for other people to also give a hand 100 and, and you feel like people um maybe see you struggling but don't want to overstep uh, and there's a lot of i don't know there's mm. um assumptions that people make around what you need and when you need it um yeah they end up being very explicit and kind of blunt in what you need and is uh, kind of goes a long way and 
a lot of people, a lot more people are willing and want to help than you think. Um, yeah. I think that was a very important part of this for me. I'm an only child myself. And when I had my first child, it was not what I was expecting. You know, it's way harder than I thought it would be um, because I hadn't been around younger children, siblings and even did any babysitting. And I expected myself to be Mother Earth and know how to handle it uh, really well and continue working. And I really tried hard at the beginning. Um, I remember even like having a, a film premiere happening and I'm all dressed up, but my baby was with my parents in Egypt out in, you know, one of the green rooms in the foyer. And I would leave the film and go and breastfeed and then go back in. It was really difficult. Um, and I'm still managed to do it with the first child. But once I had my daughter two years later and I was juggling having both at different ages, I found it impossible. So how did you manage these these challenges were they what you expected did you did you take time off at any point or did you just keep going I'm still and I'm sure uh, it's the same for you I'm still very much in it <laughs> it's, it's kind of take one day at a time and yeah you kind of give up this notion of any kind of routine or normal I feel like I just take every day as it comes because there's so much that's unexpected that that kind of no one really warns you about there was a lot of you know like time and resources and headspace that I had to dedicate to kind of that breastfeeding journey that I wasn't expecting uh, there were a lot of work trips that I needed to do so I'd have let's say a full conference day from 9 a.m to 5 p.m with a half hour for lunch and that half hour I would sprint back to the hotel you know pump and then come back um, and then have lunch on the go um, I think giving up that notion of the schedule and the predictability and all of that, I gave that up in order to kind of survive that, that sprint. And some days are better than, than others. Like for example, just a couple of days ago, I was on a zoom uh, meeting and my, and my kids kind of, my toddler came in screaming and refusing everyone else. And so I had to, you know, like hug her and then, you know, like speak during the meeting between her cries. So I would just say like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then I would mute again, avoid having people hear her scream. Um, th there's a lot of that and there's a lot of chaos. Yes. Um, but I think th that's also life, right? And I think that it's a very, I'm very, very grateful for the fact that I can, like despite the chaos and despite, you know, like some days I I wake up and then I don't know what happens and all of a sudden it's time to go to bed again. Um, but I'm very, very grateful that I'm able to kind of do do that and do both. Um, I think that the way I manage is there's there's two components to this. One that we just spoke about, which is kind of reaching out to your village and making sure that people know that you need help and finding that help wherever you can. But I think a lot of that is an internal struggle as well. I struggled a lot, even growing up, with kind of the notion of of perfection and kind of not and doing everything for everyone at the same time. And I think what really got me through the past two years is this analogy um, that I can't remember who talked to me about this, about kind of you being in the driver's seat, mm. but different people being in the different things and different people being in the front seat at different times. Asked me five years ago, my career was in the front seat. That was the most important thing and took precedence and, and importance over everything else. And then uh, at a different stage, my marriage came into that front seat. Yeah. 
and then it was kind of like my marriage and then my job at different at alternating times and then kind of when you have kids will always be in that front seat and then you see what else fits around that and I think it stopped becoming the challenge of you know like women having it all and I want to have it all but it, it it became more about not trying to have it all at the same time yes I must say I tried to be the perfect mom in giving up what I was doing I thought I've worked enough I've achieved pretty much what I wanted to achieve you know I can say been there done that <laughs> wear the t-shirt know that I've succeeded and now be available to my children uh, as a mother and not try and juggle and not give them a hundred percent was was my idea also my mum was a stay-at-home mum and she'd done exactly that she had her career up until her early 30s and then had me so I suppose I was repeating the same thing but uh, that left me miserable as well. You know, I, I wasn't very um, happy and fulfilled as a mother doing that. So I'm sure that had a negative impact on my children. And then when I did start working, when I was able to, a little bit more, they resented me for working because they weren't used to that. So suddenly it seemed like I was abandoning them. And then I thought, oh, I should have worked all along from the beginning and then they wouldn't have seen it as abandonment. So maybe what I did was wrong. It's very hard to to decide what's the best path to take, really. You know, which one have more positives than, than negatives. So how do you keep a clear head when it all seems really challenging and difficult and maybe having those emotions as a mom like, oh my God, I missed this or I can't be there for that for them. Still having that, very clear, but I will continue to work. You know, it's not like a, mm, should I give it up? Should I? Is it because your mum was a working mum? And, you know, how did you also, another question, how did you feel as the daughter that your mum worked? So that's a double question really there for you. So maybe I'll, I'll take the second question first. Yeah. Um, it's very, very important to see other women working and juggling and struggling through it as well because no, no one like you said like it when you ask like you, you don't know what the best thing to do is from where I sit and this is just my humble opinion there's no right way right you you make decisions based on what you knew at the time and what you thought was the right thing to do at the time and it's all right? Like whether you're staying at home, that in and of itself is a struggle. If you're working and um, raising kids at the same time, that also is a different type of struggle. It's all, it's all struggle and it's all challenging and it's all risks that you're taking. Um, but I think for me, it was very important to see other, to have seen other women kind of do it and struggle. Yeah. That kind of normalized the challenge and I did mm, yeah instead of it looking smooth and easy and you're struggling then you start doubting yourself that maybe this isn't for me you've seen that that is the way that you know it comes with the struggle and I think that you know like I I reach out very often and frequently to my to my network to like my friends who are also working moms and honestly I ask for practical advice like like practically how do I schedule my time like practically how attend this meeting if I have to like breastfeed at the same time like how do I like like small practical advice that mm. I think one gives me 
literally just practical tips on how to plan my life, but also kind of contextualizes the challenges that I'm facing and leverages that experience that some older moms have that I um, they've all been here and they've all struggled in the same way. And I think just reaching out to to my friends and my network, I think went a long way. Look, I'm not going to lie and say every day I have 100% conviction in kind of what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. I'd be lying if I said that was the case. When my daughter cries her eyes out while when I'm leaving for work or when I, you know, like get videos of my daughter playing at a play date and I'm not around when other moms are. Like it's it's heartbreaking. It's it's very, very tough. But at the same time, I get a lot of my self-confidence and my sense of purpose from my work. Mm. And I, I know that I will always be a role model for my daughter. Um, and I don't want her to see a mom that's not confident or without a sense of purpose. And so I, I know this is kind of like a convoluted way of of saying I work for her um, and I'm doing this for her but I need her to I need to I need to set an example for her not in terms of what I'm doing in terms of for me personally it gives me confidence and it gives me self sense of purpose and because of that I need her to have a mom that's confident with a sense of purpose yeah and I think children when when they grow up they respect that they respect that their mom has a career, that their mom, um, you know, is has got a life more than just it revolving around them. I know as a young child, that's what they feel they need or that that is what they need to feel that everything revolves around them. But as they grow up, they respect you more to see that you have your own life and it also frees them from feeling responsible for you. So I felt very responsible for my mother whose life revolved around me and she didn't work and she, you know, didn't have that thing that gave her passion and purpose and confidence. So then you feel like you owe it to your mom to always be around and to do things with them and to uplift them and to take care of them. And then that can be a pressure on the child whereas if you feel your mom is very confident and able and has her own work has her own life um it's very freeing for your children yeah yeah 100% but i think i think that's still i mean the the challenge does still exist though like when you when i think about it like i i read a quote recently that says like like women are expected to work like they don't have kids but then raise kids like they don't work yes and I think that, that that really, really resonated with me. And I'm sure it resonates probably with every working mother on the planet. Because um, mm. I know there's a lot more awareness now around this. And I feel like there is a movement supported by a lot of men um, to kind of ease the burden a bit, share the responsibility, co-parenting. Um, but I think we're still a very long way away from it being kind of a level playing field. And that's something that I still don't know how to contribute to. Yes. Resolve for it. it to be a level playing field the father needs to think in the same way that a mother does of okay if today we're doing this the children will need a b c d put into place how can we prepare for that the meals are in the fridge we've called so and so we've got uh, this sitter to do blah 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 um this person needs to pick up at this time 
the actual thinking process seems to still be done by the mum who then informs the father, can you do this part of the plan, which is C? And then that's all they have to think about. Yeah, 100%. But it seems like they're sharing that way. But when all the hard work and the preparation that's put into it, the mental energy is by just one person. And you know that if you didn't tell them that, they would have no idea. Then that is stressful. Yeah. There's no world where I maintain my mental health and I can do this job were it not for a supportive husband. It's not, it's not an yeah. option. It's not even practically doable. Um, but I think that, mm. and it's not something I take for granted, but it, I mean, my husband is my biggest cheerleader. He supports my career, probably pushes me harder than I sometimes want to push myself. But there are sometimes realities around kind of what the mother can provide and think through that, like you said, we're just not there yet. Um, especially, for example, when it comes to you know, like when your kids are sick, for example, um, planning the meds, planning the meals, even even things like waking up in the middle of the night just to snuggle with your baby for half an hour. Like even if you have a support system and you have a, an amazing husband and supportive um, environment, there's still some things that it seems like only you can do. Yeah, there seems to be like no other way except be absolutely exhausted <laughs> and get through it somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think one thing that I've kind of struggled with is, you know, this kind of like martyrdom that's expected of mothers, um, kind of like it's, it's the norm that you don't sleep and it's the norm that you, you know, forget to eat because you're feeding your kids. And it's, it, it kind of normalizes this, like I said, this martyrdom, the struggle that you have to go through as a mother and it, it kind of like if you're not struggling, it means you're not doing it fully, you're not doing it right. Um, and that's something that I really struggle with because that creates a lot of guilt, like very like small things. Like it's very important to me that I work out and I go to the gym because that's important for my mental health. Um, but that 45 minutes or an hour that I take out of my day, still some days I literally can't sleep because I chose to go to the gym over playtime with my daughter yeah there there's still a lot of kind of guilt and and maybe this isn't guilt that society's putting on me but more guilt that I'm putting on myself maybe but I think we only put that on ourselves because of what we've been taught by society so we think it's our own guilt our own thoughts but then when you look at men they don't feel guilty at all about going to the gym and not being home for a play date so why why aren't they thinking that way? They're not thinking that way because they were never told that that's their duty or that's where they should be. Um, and I am seeing dads now that are different. They're very, very hands-on with the kids and sometimes they're the stay-at-home dad and they really know how to do absolutely everything. Um, but it's still a rare thing. And, you know, I'm even shocked when I do meet someone like that. I'm like, wow, rather than it be the norm that we we all are brought up sort of equal thinking we both have children we both take on responsibility we both um, make decisions and are hands-on um, you know it's still a rarity that you kind of look at in awe yeah like a unicorn <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
So did you come back to Jordan from because you had a career before in New York and Abu Dhabi? Did you come back to Jordan to be around family because you decided to have kids or you'd had the kids? How was your career before that? I always knew I wanted to work in the Arab world. Um, I always wanted to come back to the Middle East. And I very, very early on, I had this plan mapped out where I would work in the US for a bit and then I would work in the Gulf for a bit and then I would come back to Jordan. Um, I didn't expect to follow that plan literally, um, but I did and that's just kind of how it worked out. I think my my career over the past 10 years has kind of been a function of um, the opportunities that came up for me at different times. I didn't really know what I wanted. I was doing economics and I was doing political science. I was also really interested in languages. I was studying French. So my junior year summer, I was like, I either go to Paris and learn French or I can apply to this really intense investment banking program in New York. And if I get in, I'll just go do that. Yeah. So I I literally remember uh, sitting in a cafe on a Saturday at 4 p.m. thinking, okay, do I do 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 I go to Paris and study French or do I um, accept this investment banking offer? And it literally, I said, "Mm, you know what, I'll just do this investment banking gig and I'll see what comes out of it. Oh, doesn't life back then sound carefree (laughs) and easy? (laughs) That was like, yeah, you didn't have to think of 20,000 other things in order to make the decision. But if I do that, that means so-and-so won't get this and I won't be there for so-and-so. And and I, you know, you're just thinking solely of yourself. 30 second decision that kind of just decided the entire trajectory of my career. Yes. Uh, um, and so I started off investment banking in New York and um, starting starting your career in investment banking, I think, is a double-edged sword. Um, I was working from 8 a.m. to 2 a.m. seven days a week um, for an entire year. Like I can't remember. A 8 a.m. to 2 a.m.? I was averaging four hours of sleep a day and I would wake up at 5 a.m. to run on the East River every single morning. Oh my God. Uh, Did you regret not taking French? Um, <laughs> no, I'll tell you why, because that introduced me to running. Actually, it was a really, it was an amazing way for me to relieve a lot of stress, even though I'd be exhausted at the start of the run, by the end of the run, I would have so much energy to start my day. I think it's what kept me sane. Hmm. And I, if I have investment banking to thank for the fact that I now run frequently and it's a, it's a form of therapy for me, then that alone would have been worth it. Um, But I think the other thing I took away from investment banking is the amount of, it it redefined what it means to work hard for me. Mm. Doing that as your first job, it sets you up to find everything else manageable. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a very practical example. We had those Blackberries for work that would ping whenever you got an email or a notification or anything. So I remember um, I was working that Thanksgiving night and I was waiting for an email that I needed to respond to. So I taped the Blackberry to my forehead so that I would feel the vibration in case that email came through. Oh my God. <laughs> and I feel like but once you get to that level of kind of if it was a low point or a high point, you can decide. But once you get to that level, I think anything else you do thereafter is manageable. Mm. Um, and so right now, even the late nights, even the the two a m calls, even the the presentations that I work all night for, 
while kind of raising my kids and doing that at the same time, it all feels manageable because I started my career in probably what was the toughest industry in the world. Um, and or at least that's how it felt at the time. So I did that. I started my career in New York and then I got an opportunity to move to Abu Dhabi to work at a private equity firm. And I think that was a massive transition for me, moving from New York to Abu Dhabi, just very, very different cities, very different pace. Um, but I think I found I found happiness in Abu Dhabi relatively easily. I loved my life there. I had a very uh, core group of friends. I loved my job. I took up wakeboarding and a couple of other kind of really cool hobbies that I now had time for because obviously I didn't have time for anything in New York. And Abu Dhabi was a very, very um, good transition for me. It was a very important um, place for me uh, to be in. And at did that you time feel as a as a woman in the workplace that you were treated differently than you were in New York or not at all? Um, it, it came up in some instances, but I wouldn't say it was a big or core part of my experience. Mm. No, I, um, the UAE, I think is a very, very open place. Um, and I think that I won't say that there wasn't kind of moments where I felt like I was treated differently or kind of reacted to differently because I was a woman. There was definitely some of that and there continues to be a lot of that um, to this day. Um, but I wouldn't characterize it as a core part of my experience in Abu Dhabi. No. Yeah. You didn't feel you had to prove your capabilities more there? No, no. I do feel that here, though. Um, I do feel that to a larger extent in Jordan and mm. being in the position that I'm in. Um, yeah. I can't remember how many times I've gone into a meeting and, you know, the meeting is with the managing director of Talabat in Jordan. And so I would, I would walk in and people would kind of look past me waiting for the managing director to come in. Um, and is it because you're female or is it because you're young or is it because you're attractive? What do you think it is? That's a good question. I think it's a combination of... I think it's a combination of the of the two. I, I started the role when I was 28 and I was the youngest managing director as well. Um, so I think people didn't expect me mm. when I came into meetings. And I think also a part of that is because I'm a woman as well. I, I don't like saying I'm a woman doing a man's job, but oftentimes when you're having tough conversations with uh, restaurant owners or uh, having, you know, making tough decisions around uh the the driver fleet in Jordan for example and it's and it's a massive it's a massive operation at this scale i mean we have 16000 drivers um working with talabat we have a universe of 6000 restaurants uh, hundreds and thousands hundreds of thousands of customers um tough conversations with regulators tough conversations um with tax authorities and it, it and i've learned a lot kind of doing this job and i think i've gotten a lot more confident and know how to assert myself in those meetings and kind of when I enter a room now I actually it's it's a very practical thing but I I've I now have to immediately introduce myself when I come into a room and not wait for kind of the introductions to 
and and I found that that kind of changes the dynamics um, <laughs> a bit. Yeah, that sets who's in power immediately. It's it's called queen energy. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's unfortunate that you have to, but you know, when you're coming into a tough negotiation, it's important that yeah come in with 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 some energy and some extent of some like negotiating power. Well, you know, it's it's um, hard for them to imagine or to know something like what you are juggling and doing in New York, for instance, you know, and how early you started doing that. So if they were to have seen that, they would understand totally how at 28 you could be managing director of the Labat. So I worked um, at Uber for around three years and Uber is a very, very kind of horizontal, very casual place. You make best friends with everyone you're working with, um, or at least that's how it was at the time. And I kind of bring a kind of level of casualness to the managing director role that I think a lot of people don't expect. Um, so I'll give you a very practical example. We had a meeting with the, tra- with the Traffic Institute a couple of months ago, and everyone from the Traffic Authority came in, and they were all in their kind of suits and the stars and the, the army and, the, and their hats and everything. And I was in jeans and sneakers and a sweatshirt. Um, and mm. I... Um, this is kind of what I'm used to, and I love having this casual energy around what I do. Um, yeah, so we ended up taking this group picture, and it, it literally looks like I was presenting a high school project. <laughs> 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 These like men in uh, in uniforms, yeah. and I'm in my jeans, kind of just signing a, an, an MOU. Um, yeah. So I think that that adds to that element of. And then you pull it out of the bag with your capabilities. You don't have to walk in looking the part. Yeah, and maybe maybe this is kind of my way of of kind of reclaiming some of that power. It's, yeah. it's, it's you don't need to look the way you think I should. Yes. Well, Hella, this has been a great pleasure talking to you about how you can balance everything to maybe not do everything perfectly but do it as well as you can so that you can do everything rather than sacrifice something for something else Um, I think that is a great example for other women to know that it is doable yes you do need a village to support you though and we can pull in that support in order to do it thank you thanks for the time and um, thank you for the forum it was a really great conversation and a lot of you know, introspection and, and thinking through things that I don't normally kind of get the chance to, to talk through. So I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Breaking Free, please share it with your friends or on your social media platforms. And of course, I'd really love it if you can subscribe, rate or review the show. You can reach me directly at raniacurdy.com if you would like to ask a question, comment on what you heard today, or find out how I can support you on your journey.